Welcome to Life Lessons, a ministry of Metro Believers Church featuring Pastor Glenn Smith. We pray that you will be encouraged by today's teaching. And now, Pastor Glenn. Uh, especially the highlights of each of those chapters as we move through from the Old Testament to the New Testament. And so we're in, like I said, we're in week 24. And so we only have like seven weeks to go before we all go to heaven, right? <laughs> which, which would be cool, right? Um, but at any rate, I just want to say welcome if this is your first time here today. Um, that's sort of uh, the short uh, list of what we've been doing around here. And you can kind of dig your teeth in with us today in the Word around that idea. If you're joining us by um, live streaming, I want to welcome you into our living room today. Uh, thanks for joining us from all over the world. We're glad that you're here. Let's give them a hand as they've joined us from different parts of the country and the world. So as we continue in the story, if you don't have one of our outlines, please slip up your hand. These are you know, half sheets that you can archive in some of our notebooks there at the Info Center. They're free of charge. You can get one of those notebooks and keep those so you can look back on some of the things that we taught and you learned during our time. And so, uh, during the story, uh, as we continue the story, as I've mentioned before, we're, not, we're actually not just learning biblical truth, historical truth, like I said, but we're learning life lessons. We're learning things that can help us live our lives well, and learning to apply God's Word and stick to it rather than, you know, giving up just because the going gets tough. And, the, and uh, things go kind of haywire. And so we've been learning some life lessons of how to live today. And so today we're going to talk about the life of Jesus. Um, last week we talked about the beginning of his ministry, and today we're going to talk about the life of Jesus. I, I just double-dog dare you. If you haven't really studied um, the life of Jesus and just dug in to the life of Christ and followed him along, I just would encourage you to do that. It's so rich when you dig in and find out how he lived and the things he did and the things he didn't do, the things that were important to him, the things that made him laugh and the things that made him cry, and get to know him on that level. Um, it's just a powerful thing. How many of you know Jesus is no ordinary man? Uh, and that's what we're talking about today. Um, and hopefully you had a chance to read chapter 24 in the book called The Story um, that most of you should have. If not, we still have those available. But this last week, it was awesome. <laughs> I don't know if, who read it. Let me see your hands. Come on. Come on. Way up. I want to see your hands. Honey, you didn't read it? <laughs> wow. I'm going to have to have a little talk when we get home. You know, or maybe she's going to have a little talk when we get home. <laughs> but uh, it was powerful. I just loved going through the entire chapter this week and um, just reading some of the awesome miracles and the awesome parables, which, again, are life lessons in this particular chapter, chapter 24. So if you hadn't read it before today, go back and read it. I would encourage you to do that. But we're on a journey through the greatest story ever told. Come on. It's actually a story that isn't finished being written yet. Did you know that? I mean, when you hold up your Bible, this isn't done. God's still writing the story. See? God's still writing things inside of the story. And 
Um, this really literally means that you and I are characters in God's story. See, God is, God is still working on the earth, and he's still working through people, and he's still calling people to himself, and he's still placing purpose. Every single one of us in this room, you have a purpose. That's why you're here. You have a purpose on this planet. God has something very, very unique and very specific for you, just you. And uh, he's, still, he's, he's still calling people. He's still working with people. He's still giving people assignments. And uh, so God isn't finished writing this story, and uh, we are all a part of it. And so God, God wants you and I, he wants to encourage us to have courage enough to follow him and to align our life with the story that he's writing. In other words, align ourselves with the Word of God. Because as we do that, the story that's being written about your life will be one of righteousness and one that pleases him. Now, we're learning through the story and through the characters of the Old Testament and through these true stories of the principles of God and the character of God, um, the lessons that will help us live a life that actually pleases him. Now, the story is filled with God's vision and the story actually begins with God's vision. You remember when we started at the very beginning, back in creation, and uh, his crowning achievement wasn't the fish, it wasn't the birds, you know, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the tree, it was, it was us. Everyone say me. <laughs> it was us, right? We were the crowning achievement of God's creation. Um, and then when God, God created us, he came down with us, or with Adam and Eve, of course, in the garden, this beautiful garden that he had created, and it was wonderful. I mean, he just enjoyed being with them, and he gave them certain boundaries so that he could enjoy them and they could enjoy him, and then they chose to reject God's vision for their lives. And how many of you know, you and I can choose to reject God's vision for our lives. You know, Vicki and I could have stayed in Tulsa uh, and never moved back to Wisconsin. We could have, we could have decided, you know what, We're, we've done that, been there, done that, got that t-shirt, wore out a couple, you know. <laughs> and we could have just disobeyed God. And, and obviously, there's all sorts of smaller things along the way that we could have disobeyed God. But uh, how many of you know God wants us to align our lives with His vision? He doesn't want us to reject His vision. And then so Adam and Eve are sort of nixed out of the garden and escorted out, and so God launches a plan to get us back. How many of you know that? Isn't that a wonderful plan? I mean, people reject him. How many of you know people reject you? But typically, you start to develop a plan around your life so that you can, you can still walk in love and still walk in compassion and not get bitter and, and angry and uh, full of resentment, see? But God has a plan to get us back. God... God is not just going to get his feelings hurt over Adam and Eve rejecting him and just deciding fully on mankind, right? No, he says, you know what? I'm going to develop a plan. I'm going to get them back. Come on, somebody say amen. That means you and I can have eternal life. I'm going to develop a plan to get him back, get, it, get them back. And so what is the plan? The plan is not a what, it's a who. The plan is not a what. What's the plan? No, it's a who. So God is going to actually come down and take on human flesh and then go ahead and take all of our sins unto himself and pay for it with his own sinless blood. That's what he decided. That was the ultimate plan. I'm, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to step in. I'm going to pay the price. 
and I'm going to take their sin unto myself so that they can be the righteousness of God in Christ, so that they can live righteous, they can live in my holiness, they can live, you know, in a place that, that is not filled with condemnation. How many of you are glad about that? I have to live in a place that's filled with condemnation, and that's why, that's why the virgin birth way back, we talked about it last week, way back, that the virgin birth is so critical. Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, remember the Father what? Son and the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, wasn't born from the seed of man, but of the seed of the Holy what? Spirit. That's the virgin birth, see? And, and, it, and it started there because it had to happen that way. So when the blood pours from Jesus' side and from his head and from his back, it's not contaminated blood. <laughs> it, right? It's not contaminated blood like ours, but pure and a, a type of blood that God the Father actually accepts for payment for all of our sins. Can I get a hallelujah here? Think about it. So Jesus' ministry begins by his baptism. We talked about that last week. And the good news is, because of that, all of us who embrace Jesus can live a life of forgiveness. Amen? And cleansed lives. As we pick this week's chapter, as we pick up this week's chapter, uh, we're going to actually enter into the second of three years of ministry. Jesus only really had about three years of actual ministry on the planet before he was he was crucified. And after he started his ministry and was baptized till he was crucified, a little over three years. And so the first year, um, you could summarize as his inauguration. The second year, you could summarize as his popularity. And the third year, you could, popul- or could, could characterize it as a year of opposition. So you look at those three areas of his life and ministry, and you see some of those things happen. It's kind of like, you know, uh, the inauguration, it's kind of the honeymoon. Remember that? The honeymoon effect. <laughs> and then, then the popularity, oh, everything's cool. And then all of a sudden in life you get some opposition, right? <laughs> and you have to deal with that. You have to walk through it. And you have to, have to deal with it in Christ. So the, this is the year of popularity that we're looking at today. And so the crowds by the thousand are gathering. Just to get a glimpse, this is like the rock star you know, of the day. They just wanted to get a glimpse of Jesus, uh, to hear him teach and to watch him perform miracles and even for themselves to maybe be healed of all sorts of diseases. Um, That's why it'd be awesome for you to read this chapter, read this story in the Bible. And so he never disappointed them. These crowds gathered and Jesus did what Jesus did, right? What Jesus does. And as we read this section of Scripture, I think we're all going to be reminded that we would be wise, everyone say wise, wise to build our lives on the teachings of Jesus. That would be a good move, by the way, to build our lives on the teachings of Jesus. And it reminds me of the wise and the foolish builders in Matthew chapter 7. This is not in your notes. You may want to write this down because I think it will be helpful for some. Just got wet. Um, Matthew chapter 7, verse 24 says this. It says, anyone who listens to my teaching 
and follows it is wise. Everyone say wise. Maybe you underline that in your, your Bibles or your notes. Everyone who listens or hears, you're hearing today, you're hearing a message from God's Word. Anyone who listens or hears my teaching and what? And what? Follows it. Not just hears, but follows. Is wise. Like a person who builds his house on solid rock. Though the rains come and torrents and the floodwaters rise, <laughs> we experienced a little of that, and the winds beat against the house, it won't collapse because it was built upon the rock. Wise man. And then it goes on and says, but anyone who hears my teachings and does not obey them is foolish. Maybe underlying that word foolish as well, because we have a choice in the matter. How many of you know that? We have a choice. We can be wise builders or we can be foolish builders. They're foolish, like a person who built his house on the sand, path of least resistance. When the rains came and the floods came and the winds beat against it, um, it collapsed with a great crash. Listen, you have a choice to make. What kind, of a, what kind of a life are you going to build? We're not talking about a physical house here. We're talking about a spiritual life. We're talking about you and, and who you are and the way you live and the way you operate, the way you conduct yourselves. And so we would be wise, I think, as believers to build our life on the Word. Not to just say, you know what, I accepted Christ into my heart, I'm going to heaven, that's all I need. <laughs> and never really digging into the Word and finding out what this Scripture teaches you and I and how we should conduct our affairs and treat one another and live, see? So we would be wise builders to actually not just hear the Word, but to be doers of the Word. See, it's critically important to know the teachings in the life of Christ and to have the courage to live it out. You know, it's easy to, you know, to, to talk the talk. It's different to walk the walk, right? And so it's, it's important for you and I to not just know or hear the teachings of Jesus, but to actually have the courage, and it does take courage, to live a life of Christ in Christ and to live it out in our own personal lives. And so today I just wanna, I wanted to cherry pick just a, maybe four life lessons um, out of the chapter today or for this week, um, four life lessons of the parables and the miracles of Jesus. And um, Mark chapter four, you can, I think this is in your notes, I think you can follow along with me here. But Mark chapter four starts out with Jesus was in the stern sleeping, right? Jesus was in the stern sleeping. Does anyone know where, what the stern is? The what? The back, the back of the boat, okay? Uh, he was in the stern. He was in the back of the boat sleeping. And the disciples woke him and said, teacher, <laughs> don't you care if we drown? And he got up and he rebuked the wind and he said to the waves, Quiet! Uh, he, prob he probably didn't say it like that. He probably said, quiet. <laughs> I mean, no, Jesus didn't have to holler to get his point across. <laughs> That's just us preachers, right? <laughs> quiet! You know, maybe we'll wake somebody up, right? So quiet. Be still. The wind died down, and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And I think the same is true with us. Why are we so afraid? Why 
Are we so, so afraid? Why don't we have the faith that we should have at this point as we walk with Christ and hide God's Word in our heart? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Do you know that every time you get in the Scripture, faith should come? Every time. Every time you open the Scripture and you read, you should, you should, you should be able to increase your faith as you read the life and the story of Jesus Christ and all of the heroes of the faith should increase our faith. So here's a life lesson that I think is important for us to have. It's the first one. I'll give you four today. First of all, the life lesson number one is if Jesus is in your boat, you don't need to be afraid of the storm. If Jesus is in your boat, you don't need to be afraid of the storm. I want you to notice that Jesus was doing what in the boat? Come on, he was doing what? He was, he was sleeping. It, it, it's just amazing to me that someone can sleep in the middle of a storm. Now, we're not talking about in your bedroom where, you know, you love, you know, the rain hitting the windows and, you know, it's just one. I, don't, I, love, I love to sleep during storms, you know, but not in a boat, <laughs> you know. Um, but he's, sleep, he's asleep in the boat, right? And so to me, the greater miracle here, you know, because the disciples later commented on this guy is, he must be God because he has authority over the winds and the waves, right? So they were so awed by the fact that he could tell it to shut up and be calm. When I, when I look at this story, to me, the greater miracle is the fact that he was sleeping in the storm and not, not just the rebuking of the wind. That's the miracle that really stands out to me, that he was sleeping. Why? Because it speaks to me that I can sleep in the storm, that I can have peace in the storm. See, fear, fear is a crippling and paralyzing thing. And the enemy wants you and I to be full of fear, full of worry, full of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, this is not in your notes, it says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, okay, but of power and of love and of sound mind, hallelujah. You don't have to have fear, even though there are things going wrong, you still don't have to have fear because fear is the power source of the kingdom of darkness. Satan loves to get you into fear because he has control over you in that fear. But, but on the other hand, faith is the power source of the kingdom of life and the kingdom of God, see? And so always remember when you're starting to become afraid, typically it's because the enemy is playing with your mind or, or, or maneuvering circumstances to get you off your game and put you into fear. See, fear can have three profound effects on your life. First of all, it can consume your mind. Second, it can cause your, uh, your mind, or it clouds your judgment. And third, it controls your life. Three things that actually happens when you engage in fear. Isaiah 41.10, check this verse out. Fear not. Now, how many of you know the Bible is full of those? Fear not. 360 some, almost one for every day. Fear not, in the Bible. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I'll help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not. These are verses, I think, 
that until they get on the inside of you, it needs to be somewhere where you can see it to remind yourself. These are great verses to put on a three-by-five card and hang them somewhere in your house or in your car or, or you know, at work, wherever you can see them, to, to continually remind you that God is with us, and we don't have to be afraid. If Jesus is in your boat, <laughs> you don't have to be afraid, right? See, the question is, is, are you living in the middle of a storm today? I think all of us from time to time go through storms. Ask yourself, am I, am I in a boat today going through a storm? If so, am I afraid or do I need to have some faith here and trust God to take me through the storm? I believe the kingdom should be worry-free. If you and I are operating in kingdom principles, we should be worry-free, for real. I know that's hard, but I believe it's possible. Some of us have a postgraduate degree in anxiety. You know, it's, we're good at it. <laughs> we've got, we've got a, a piece of paper on the wall that says it. We worry about worrying sometimes. You know, we worry about worrying. And, and here's really a simplified version of the definition of worry. Worry is being afraid of, that something bad is going to happen. That's worry, okay? So, so worry and fear are like twins. They, you can't have one without the other. As soon as you start to worry, you become afraid, right? So Philippians chapter 4 verse 6 says something I think that we all need to memorize, and that is what? Don't worry about anything, but instead pray about what? Everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He's done. Somebody needs that verse this morning. Somebody needs that to register in your heart. Don't worry about anything. Don't worry about anything. Just like Jesus to his disciples. Why are you so afraid? Don't worry. I said we were going to the other side. And if I said we're going to the other side, guess what? We're going to the other side. Amen? So don't worry. Somehow, you know, we've all got different boats that we float around in, and I've had a couple of cancer boats in my life. I've had, I've had cancer twice. And if you've never had um, the, 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 the word cancer, you know, that's proclaimed over you, you don't know what I'm talking about. But, but when you have that happen a couple of times, um, you know what it means. That's kind of the boat. That's a boat. Anytime you're in a crazy circumstance where all hell's breaking loose, you know, and the rains are coming and the winds are blowing and circumstances are there and it's a crazy, crazy moment in your life and you don't know what, uh, what's up and what's down, you're disoriented, you have to cling to something. And so the boat, you know, Cancer was my equivalent to a boat, you know. I'm in the boat. I'm, 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 you know, being tossed around. I don't know what's up or down. But while in the boat, and this has happened many times in our life, and I just point to those two things out, while in the boat, you have to choose. What are you going to do in the boat when things are going crazy? So Vicki and I have learned that, that when we're in a boat and the storms come, rather than just freaking out, we choose to get together and recite God's promise 
We, we, we start to bank our lives on the Word of God. Did you hear me? We rehearse together the promises of God. And we ask ourselves, what's the worst that can happen? We could die. Is that so bad? <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm a Christian. And, and as Christians, we ought not be afraid to die. Did you get me? I mean, even in Revelation, it says that they overcame the enemy by three things, the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life even unto death. So you, if you're in a boat today and you're in a storm and things aren't going so well, um, you have to decide what you're going to do. Are you going to live in fear and worry? You don't have to be afraid. Amen? Why? Because Jesus, if Jesus is in your boat, you don't have to be afraid. So every time I find myself in a storm, in a boat, I cling to God's Word and remind myself of the promises of God, and it helps me overcome fear. Next life lesson, we have another boat incident in chapter 24 of your story this week. This time, the disciples are in a boat without Jesus, so they're off by themselves. And once again, the waters are super choppy because of the strong winds. And the morning sun is about to break over the horizon, and off in the distance, they see a figure walking on the water towards them. Their first guess, guess is it's a ghost. <laughs> it's Casper. It's a ghost. Um, and then let's pick up the narrative here in Matthew chapter 14. It's in your notes. It says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. Somebody needs to hear that today. Take courage. It may be in your job and it may be in your, your marriage. It may be in your um, relationships. It may be in your finances. It may be something that you're struggling with right now, a personal addiction. Jesus is saying to you, take courage. It is I, do not be afraid. Once again, do not what? Do not what? Be afraid. The Lord, or Lord, if it's you, Peter said, tell me to come to you on the water. And come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But Jesus, when he saw the strong, or, but Peter, when he saw the strong wind, and the waves, he was terrified and began to sink. Save me, Lord, he shouted. Jesus immediately reached out and grabbed him. You have so little faith. Once again, Jesus said, why do you doubt me? Why? Did you, did you know that, that Peter was actually walking on the water? So that brings us to the second life lesson, and this is, this, and this is it. If you, if you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. If you want to walk on water, you've got to get out of the boat. So Peter got down out of the boat, and he's walking on water. How many of you know that's not, that's not an easy thing to do? If you don't believe me, you just go out to Lake Mendota and just try it this afternoon. Just, just decide to walk on water. It's not an easy thing to do. But Peter actually did it. So we get, we, we get so wrapped up in the fact that, you know, he sank, we forget to realize that he did it. 
that he actually walked on water and he came toward Jesus. But, everyone say but. See, that word but tells us that something is about to change. But he saw the wind. Remember that? He saw the wind and he saw the waves or the circumstances. He saw, in other words, he, he was so focused, got his eyes off of his source and got his eyes on the circumstances that it cost him the miracle of walking on the water because he became terrified, the Bible says. When he got his, got his eyes off Jesus, when he said, come, and he started looking around thinking to himself, like you and I probably would do, I, I can't be doing this. I can't believe I'm doing this. Oh my gosh, look at the waves. You know, and before you know it, he sinks. So he took his eyes off Jesus and he began to sink. Here's what we need to understand, that the power behind Peter walking on the water was Jesus' come, not calm weather. That was the power behind the miracle of Peter walking on the water. The fact that Jesus just said one word, come, gave Peter the ability to do the supernatural because he was obeying Jesus' word. And I think there's something powerful about you and I obeying Jesus' word. We always have greater authority when we're operating in kingdom business, when we're listening to the word and being obedient to it. See, the truth is, as I study this story, I'd rather be a wet water walker than a, than a dry boat sitter. You know, I really think about that. I'd rather get out from time to time and step out in faith and get wet and sit around in a boat in the comfort of doing nothing for God, I'd rather, I'd rather get wet a time or two. And can I tell you, I've gotten wet a time or two. But I'd rather do that than sit in the boat <laughs> and just kind of cheer everybody else on and never take a risk myself. And some of, for some of you, you're playing it way too safe. You're, you're just, you know, you just want to live in that comfort zone and some of the things that God's trying to get you to do, you're, you just constantly reason off or, or, you know, set aside or pretend you didn't hear it um, because it's comfortable and it doesn't take any risk and it takes no faith. It's comfortable. But how many of you know it's time to get wet? Somebody say, it's time to get wet. Turn to somebody and say, it's time to get wet. Come on. Better yet, why don't we stay dry and stay on Jesus, Amen. Keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, for who the joy set before him and he endured the cross. God has more in store for our lives than we are currently experiencing. Amen? Here's another one that I think we should live by. It's in Mark 14, 13, when Jesus heard what had happened. He withdrew by boat privately to a solid, solitary place. But the crowds, once again, this is, this, this is his year of popularity. The crowds just followed him and just kept pulling at him to teach them some more and to heal some more and to tell some more stories and to have compassion on them every single time and to conduct a healing service. So he did, of course. And that particular evening, after, you know, he had taught and healed all day, the disciples came to him and said, 
Master, I don't know that if you realize this, but it's getting dark here, and, and uh, I think you need to send the, this crowd back to town and, so they can get something to eat because we don't, we don't have a, you know, a concession stand here. So you probably want to get them back in town so they can get something to eat. And then Jesus said something pretty crazy. He said, you feed them. <laughs> How many of you that would freak you a little bit? Yeah, because there was like 5,000 men. So Jesus instructed them. He says, you feed them. All 5,000. And that was, like I said, just the men, which roughly most scholars believe that there was 15,000 people covering the hillside. 15,000 people covering the hillside. And the disciples who didn't have two nickels to rub together said, you're crazy, basically. This is paraphrased, obviously. It would, it would take a half year's salary for these people just to get a bite of food. And Andrew you know, sort of sheepishly says, you know what? Uh, I heard that there, there's a kid here that's got, that's got some, some, some bread and some fish. Matter of fact, matter of fact, he's got five loaves. Of, of bread, and he's got two fish. How far is that going to go? How many of you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> got five loaves of bread and two fish, and you know the story, but, but you're paying me to tell you it, so I'll go ahead and tell you it, okay? <laughs> so Jesus tells, Jesus tells them to put this, get the people to sit down, and he takes the bread, and he takes the fish, and he gives thanks. He blesses it, gives thanks for it, and he says, just start feeding the people. And everyone in that group on that hillside eats until they're full. And then, then they still had some left over. But how many of you know Jesus is no ordinary man? That's amazing. And so we can, we can learn the third life lesson to hear today, and that's simply give Jesus what you have and let him multiply it, and he'll feed the multitude. That's sort of a philosophy that we live by here at Metro Believers Church. We, we believe in loaves and fishes. You and I all have, all have a loaf and a fish, or maybe it's just a loaf. But we have something. God has given us something. And if we will take all that we have and pull it together just like they did, pull it together, ask God to bless it, he'll feed the, feed the multitude. So here's the deal. Give Jesus what you have in your own personal life and, and have him bless it, and he will multiply it. Amen? I don't know about you, but we, Vicki and I have seen the miracle of multiplication in our lives. We, we, have, we have witnessed it firsthand, supernaturally, through our whole life and ministry, where the, the multiplication factor in God showed up. We have seen money show up we didn't know we had in places we didn't know existed. We have had gas, you know, a vehicle where we were going to minister to a couple, you know, us get like 70 miles to the gallon in a Econoline Ford van, gas guzzlers. You know, we've seen so many miracles of multiplication where God, we just said, God, what we have is not much. You know, our lives, our little loaves and fish, our finances, our hearts, everything, it's yours. And to see him multiply it, stretch it <laughs> to get the job done, how many of you know he'll do that? 
Hopefully you have seen some miracles like that. If you haven't, trust him for those. Give him what you have. Say, God, just like you fed 15,000 people on a hillside, you can do this for my family. And exercise your faith, not your fear. Amen? That's what God wants us to do. Jesus fed the multitudes. Matthew 14, 23 says, sets us up for our fourth life lesson. After he had heard, or excuse me, after he had dismissed them, he went up to the mountainside by himself to do what? To pray. Jesus is modeling a very important principle for us, and that is simply this. If you don't come apart, you'll come apart. If you don't come apart, you will come apart. Some, some of you need to hear that today, and Jesus, Jesus not only did it here, but if you read through the Gospels, you'll see it was a pattern in his life where he would, he would go spend time with his father right before a big decision or right after a major event that he experienced, like the feeding of the 5,000, 15,000, miracles, healings. He realized that he needed to get back with his father and get refreshed and rejuvenated and allow the Holy Spirit to fill him. And some of you need to do that with your life. Come apart or you'll come apart. Would spend time with your father. Listen, if Jesus felt the need to do that, I think we should all the more, right? If Jesus, the Son of God, felt the need to do that, I think we need to do it as well. Some of, some of us are burning the candles at both ends. Some, some of us, you know, are faced with major decisions, and some of us have serious events going on in our lives. There are issues that are hurting and disappointing and difficult. Jesus is saying, if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. Listen, I think every single one of us need to up our prayer life, <laughs> including me. <laughs> Amen? I mean, listen, prayer is so critical in our lives. And there's nothing that we talk more of and do little of, you know, than prayer, the subject of prayer. We'll pray, I'll pray, I'll be, I'll be praying, I'll be praying, I'll be praying. And oftentimes we forget and don't really do it. And then taking a serious amount of time to spend with your heavenly Father and just you and Him, allowing Him to fill you and refresh you is something incredibly important. Let me show you what I'm talking about when it comes to the idea of prayer. At NBC, we want to develop a culture of prayer. We want people praying all over the city in our church. We want people praying for one another. We want people to come to prayer meetings to pray corporately. We want to develop a culture of prayer here at this, this church. And so let me give you a couple of prayer ideas. Prayer is God's invitation to you to come and have fellowship with him. It's on the screen. I don't think we'll go slow enough so that you can write them down, but, but they're up there. Prayer is our need crying out to the Father. Prayer is the voice of faith. Prayer is not a duty. It's a privilege. It's not a struggle. It's a visitation. Thanksgiving is the track that carries the mighty load of faith. Prayer was given to man by God to change things. Did you know that? God gave you the, the, the benefit of prayer, of spending time with him and, and, and you know, co-laboring together with him to change things. 
To see a need is a call to prayer. Prayer is a conversation with God. When in prayer, we're co-laboring together with God to bring His will into the earth. Prayer has a twofold value. First of all, fellowship with God, and then answers. And prayer is where all battles are won or lost. We know that. When, you have a, when you're going through a battle, it's time to turn up your prayer life. Amen? Prayer is essential to the Christian as food is to the physical body. So it's obvious, I think, that we all need to grow in our prayer life. Amen? Jesus, Jesus wants us to walk in the supernatural power of Almighty God. And hopefully, as you've read the story this week, you've caught that. Some things you, can be taught, some things have to be caught. And hopefully, as you've read through chapter 24 this week in our book, you've caught that idea is that God wants you and I to walk in the supernatural power of Almighty God. That He's not finished with miracles. Bible's, he's not finished speaking to people. Hebrews says, see to it that you don't refuse him who still speaks. He's still speaking, amen? Are we listening? That's the question. He wants us to see the parables and how they, how they lead us to a deeper life and a deeper walk with God. He wants to see the miracles. He wants us to see them so we can experience them here in our life today. Let's stand to our feet. Listen here, Jesus not only came to die for our sins, he came to show us how to live. Did you hear me? He wants to show you how to live, he wants to show me how to live. Bathe yourself in the teachings and the life of Jesus. Know his way of life better than anything else you know. Many of you have postgraduate degrees. You know a lot about a particular subject. Know Jesus more. Amen? Know him more than all of that. And then follow his example, and you just might find yourself walking on water too. As you walk with him and you talk with him, and he tells you that you are his own. Amen? If you want to know more about Life Lessons, check us out online at MetroBelievers.com or write to us at Metro Believers Church, P.O. Box 45702, Madison, Wisconsin 53744.